Hello and thank you for listening to episode 99 of 60 Minutes With. I'm Dave and this is another one of our Soundcheck interview shows and in this one I get to chat with world-renowned drummer Kenny Aronoff. Now I could spend the entire show just telling you the people that Kenny has recorded with. I really could. It's a who's who of who's in the music industry. I'll, I'll just reel off a few just to give you a bit of an idea. John Bon Jovi, Johnny Cash, Ray Charles... Joe Cocker, Alice Cooper, Bob Dylan, Tony Iommi, Mick Jagger, Elton John, B.B. King, Gladys Knight, Patti LaBelle, Leonard Skinnerd, Meatloaf, Stevie Nicks, Puddle of Mud, Rolling Stones, Bob Seger. I could go on. As you can tell from that list as well, the music that Kenny has played on, it's very eclectic. He is known as a rock drummer, but he's not just a rock drummer. As you'll find out, he's far more than just a rock drummer, believe me. So before we get into the chat, because of course, that's what you're here for. You don't want to listen to me, you want to listen to Kenny talk. We're going to listen to a track from the new Supersonic Blues Machine album, California Soul. And the track that you're going to listen to is L-O-V-E. With a 
How you doing? This is Kenny. Absolutely. How are you? Hi. How are you doing? I'm Dave. I'm in Wales in the UK. Oh, awesome! I've been there before. I did a Tony Iommi record there in uh, Monmouth. Oh, wow! What a great thing to do while you're in Wales. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. It was with Tony Iommi. We were living it. Well, we were in. I was li- living in Steve in Geezer Butler's room. That was the funny part. And uh, I was thinking, God, I wonder what the fuck he must have been doing while back in the day. You know what I mean? Like, this is awesome. <laughs> and that's for starters. Man, that was the coolest record. It was badass. We lived there. And um, um, it, was really, it was really cool, man. It was so cool. And, um, and we were going to be a band. Um, but uh, then uh, Sharon Osbourne came up with a, a deal that nobody could refuse but didn't, didn't affect me or uh, or Glenn Hughes and it was <coughs> put Black Sabbath back together <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, mean, I mean what are you going to do there I was like well have a nice life <laughs> <laughs> certainly not much I'm you not can gonna, do <laughs> no I mean I mean, you do the math, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was, that, yeah, I think that's kind of funny. But um, anyway, um, yeah, man. Uh, yeah, my wife is from Devon. Oh, okay. So she, yeah, man. So I'm totally English connected. You should get yourself back to Wales and play some gigs. Bring Supersonic Blues Machine over here. We'd love to see oh, you. I would love to. I'd love to come to Wales. Boy, you don't have a very Wales accent. No, right. I, I mean, yours, yours is very smooth. Out, you don't even. You're easy to understand. I mean, you're like right down the middle. You're what? not. <laughs> you're, you're definitely not Birmingham. You're not uh, from up there in, in Edinburgh, and you're not London either. And you're not what Wales. You're like smack right down the middle. You're easy, very easy to. Oh well, that's understand. good because there are there's quite a few accents over here in the UK, which are even for me difficult to understand. I know it's an amazing uh, how how over with only a small piece of land it sounds like you know ten countries, you know. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. All right. Well, cool, man. Um, I'm, well, I didn't mean to t- talk your head off. No, um, no. You, wanna... you go ahead and talk all you want, Kenny. That's you know that's what you're here for. That's fine. But I mean, you mentioned Tony, okay. Tony Iommi there. I mean, for the listeners. Uh, the amount of people that you've played with, it would be quicker to say who you haven't played and toured with and recorded with. Oh, yeah. Is is there anybody left that you, you'd love to record with? Well, I, everyone asks me, you know, uh, some, the answer to that question um, is, like, I'd love to, boy, I'd love to have a super group of me, Sting, and Jeff Beck. That's <laughs> good. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd, be, I'd be the weakest link. I'd just... Tell them, look, I'm just going to play, keep it down, keep the beat, make it feel good. You guys do whatever you want. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, that'd be just... Uh, I've never played with Jeff. I mean, I play on a record with Jeff, but we never played together. And uh, it was on Blaze of Glory by Bon Jovi. And uh, John said that we used to all go out to the movies, but I, I don't remember that. I remember going to the movies, but I don't remember Jeff Beck being there. But 
probably was. I, I, I just can't remember because Jeff is quiet. Uh-huh. Um, but um, I, I, I played with Sting a bunch of times. It's you know it, he's as he's as good as it gets as a musician. I mean, it just understands it all on so many levels. You know, um, but you know, I mean, there's always I'm I'm one of those guys that's I'm still excited to be doing what I'm doing. I mean, I'm very very passionate about the future. Uh, almost more passionate about the present, but I love the present. You know, it's like I'm playing with like, like I play with John Fogarty, you know, from Credence. But then I get a call from Jim Keltner four days ago and he asked me if I was free to play with Jerry Lee Lewis this Friday. So I'll be playing with Jerry Lee Lewis. I mean, these guys are like, they're never to be replaced. I mean, there's nobody who does it like them anymore. And then I'm going to go to New York two days later to play with Billy Gibbons, Dave Navarro from Jane's Addiction, uh, Nancy Wilson, Sam Moore from Sam and Dave. Uh, let's see, uh, I'm leaving out some uh, Richie Sanborn, Orianti, and a whole bunch of other people honoring the veterans. And then, you know, um, I'm editing a, a new book, my second book, uh, which is more, um, how, you know, how to be successful in life and in your career. Uh, it's pretty, it's pretty intense. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of like, are you living your life loud or are you dying on the vine? Because <laughs> most people are dying on the vine. And I'm pretty intense about, I, I don't, I don't, I think that being lazy and entitled and expecting everything to come to you is uh, not, you're not just letting yourself down because I don't believe anything just comes to you. Mm-hmm. Nothing. I made my career. I wasn't the most talented drum in the world. I wasn't maybe the best looking, but I wasn't the most talented. <laughs> drummer in the world but um i made it happen i ran over people by by j- not, not not in a mean way i just kept i was the guy they would have to throw out of the practice rooms at night when i was practicing when i was becoming an, or- uh, an orchestral classically trained musician and i would um at 18 i was practicing eight hours a day seven days a week wow. it was all fear based it was fear based but i loved doing it and uh it was and i just slowly but surely you know Greatness comes in, 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 in a long time. When I was a freshman in college at the number one co- uh, a classical school in America called Indiana University, there's no hand-holding there. If you didn't do your job, they throw you out. There's total Navy SEAL, and that's why it's the number one school in the country. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they don't mess around, man. Can I swear on this interview? Yeah, of course you can. Swear as much as you want. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so they don't fuck around. I mean, they basically, you, you're not prepared, they throw you out of the office. You're not prepared for your lesson. The teacher says, you have obviously not prepared. Get the fuck out of my office. That's what it was like. Yeah. But that built me to be what I am. And the, my mom asked the, the teacher, you know, she was like, God, she's going like, wow. I mean, I mean, is Kenny really that good? You know, I was really had a long ways to go. And he said, you know, Mrs. Aronoff, ask me that question in 10 years. Basically, he was saying, how the fuck do I know? I mean, it's up to him. He's got to make it happen. He's the one that can make it happen. He was right. Now, I didn't even think about this until um, maybe a year ago. I thought, God, what was 10 years after that? <laughs> You're not going to believe this. 10 years after that. Now, this is me going through a five-year intensive classical training where even in my summers, I'd be practicing eight hours a day, or I was in the Aspen School of Music uh, summer program run by Juilliard 
top three schools in the country. And then eventually took four auditions, four consecutive years. I got into Tangled, which was run by the Boston Symphony Orchestra, where I was one of seven percussionists in the whole world accepted to this program where you work with uh, Leonard Bernstein, uh, Aaron Copeland, Arthur Fiedler, Sergio Zauer, all the conductors that conduct the Boston Symphony Orchestra. And then eventually got in the Jerusalem Symphony Orchestra in Israel. I turned it down because I still wanted to be a rocker, you know, and play yeah. rock and roll. And so I started practicing eight hours a day. Long story short, 10 years later, to almost a month, was when American Fool came out with Mellencamp. It was won two Grammys, won, uh, uh, and, and it was John's biggest single ever in his life featuring the drums, Jack and Diane. Wow. And another number one hit single, Hurt So Good. That record, that was 10 years later to the month. So <laughs> my teacher was right. But what I had to do, you know, I tell people I've been on, you know, 300 million records sold, 1,300 gold, platinum, diamond records, 60 nominated, one Grammys. Rolling Stone named me top 100 drums of all time. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, but that's nice. But, and I don't even think, I always what I knew is I had to research that for my book, but th that's nice. But man, I, I got my ass kicked going doing that. Yeah, I got humili humiliated by conductors when they made me. It's about peeing my pants, embarrassed me, yelled at me in front of a sixty-piece orchestra. I had teachers that would were so intense they would hit me in the shoulder and made me cry when I was a little kid. I had I got fired. I got hired. I got you know laughed at. I mean. All kinds, it was not easy. I, it's, not, it's never easy to be successful. I mean, get, getting beat up and pu pushed around and, 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 and fucked with and all kinds of negative things that people talk about, that's just part of life, man. You just keep running. If you're a, like a soccer player or a football player or a, a rugby player, when somebody beats you, beats you down, you don't start crying or talking about, hey, man, mm -hmm. what's that all about? It's part of the game. Man, life is not easy. So what, what, what I don't like is when people are not, when they're, 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 they're looking for the easy way out and they're feeling entitled and they want it to just happen or they think it should just be given to them, not only are they letting themselves down, but they're letting society down and everybody else because what happens is that they're not doing their part. They're not doing their part on the team, which is society and life. They're letting everybody down. They, they're not carrying their own weight, so somebody else has to carry the weight, and that just brings the whole team down. You've got it's, as humans, we're responsible for not just ourselves, but we got to be taking care of ourselves. Take means you're taking care of every you're helping take care of everybody else and keep the system going. And that's in music too, man. M music is just as much of a corporation as anything else. Oh yeah, it's about a team. It's yeah. I mean, it's like when I do a session. Let's say it's with uh, Elton John, and I walk in there. It's not about me. When there's a lot of egos in the room, you know, I've been in rooms with like, you know, twelve huge stars. You know, a lot of egos, but it's never about me. As a drummer, I listen, I learn, I lead because I'm a drummer, but I'm not the boss. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how many gold records I, I'm going to record. You know, eight songs on Wednesday. The music, the artist isn't signed. The music is not that great, but he's hiring me. Yeah, it's my job to you know do a good job for him. It's you got to put the ego away. The purpose of a drummer or any musician that's doing a record 
It's not about them. It's to get the song on the radio to be number one. That's mm -hmm. the job. If you get a song on the radio to be number one, you just made the artist and whoever else millions of dollars. That'd be like if we got hired to work for Microsoft. What's your, what's your purpose? To make the company millions of dollars, then they pay you money, and then you take care of your family. That's it, man. Yeah. That's it. And so when I say serve the song so that it becomes number one, what that means is that everything I think and do, is this good for the song? Is this good for the team? Is this good for the artist? It may be good for you, but that's not the most important thing. And when you start learning how to serve and you start looking outside of yourself, then you get hired, then you get rehired, and then you become successful. And it takes 10 years <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> you know, it, it takes a long time. And the, I'll go even further. Once you become successful, oh my God, you're not set. Now you have to fight even harder to stay successful. Once you get in a position, you become, people want your job. They want your life. And once you're creative, like when I came up with that iconic drum part on Jack and Diane that saved the song, the song was off the record, it was not even there. And I came up with it. I was doing that part, fighting for my job. I knew that if I didn't come up with it, they were going to bring somebody else in, and I could easily be replaced. I'd seen two other people fired in our band on that record. Wow. And so I, I was fighting. For, I was literally walking back to the drum set at one point, going, you got 40 feet to save your career. you got 30. What are you going to play, Kenny? I'm like, I don't know. I'm nervous as fuck. I got nine people trying to tell me what to do. I hit a dead end. I'm like walking back 20 feet. Now 10. What are you going to play, Kenny? I don't know. Five. One. Nobody's there holding my hand. Nobody. I'm by myself like a fish in a goldfish bowl. And everyone's looking at me. And you either come up with the answer or you're fired. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, if you get fired in a job like that, the entire music industry will find out about it. And you are like, it's not just a private little thing. It's a really serious situation. Anyway, long and short of it, I came up with a solution. Record became number one. But now my boss, John Mellencamp, expected me to come up with ideas every time <laughs> he came, brought a song to me. You see, so once yeah. you become successful, you have to keep doing it to stay successful. And I did that for 17 years for him. And he never had bigger hits than when I was in the band because I was, it's my personality. I was so uh, afraid to fail and so concerned to be great and, and, and be on, a, on great songs that I was willing to, you know, basically I, failure was like death to me. So I was fighting for my life all the time. But, you know, it brought me, you know, 1,300 gold, platinum, diamond records. And oh, yeah. uh, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's like those, it's not going to be possible to ever do that again because there are no budgets. But so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's Kenny Aronoff really right there. And so I'm still very passionate about doing a great job, you know, um, and, and even if the songs aren't great, you know, so a lot of these people that I record with, don't have record deals, and but my job is to make them sound better when I play on them, and I I love that. I still love it. I love it.
I mean, like you said, with your hard work and the passion that you've got for what you do, not only is it is it like testament to the longevity of the career that you've had, but when you, I mean, you mentioned mm -hmm. before you're working on the book that's going to come out next year, and you had the book that was out last mm -hmm. year, and then mm -hmm. you know you've said yourself you split the career into you're a touring drummer, a studio drummer, you do you educate yeah. educate people on the drums as well. I mean, you just, you just constantly mm -hmm. throwing yourself into everything. Yeah, I mean, and um, and I'm now I'm even more open. I got a documentary that the Kodak Film wants to do on me if we ever get the around to it, and I've got a a cartoon that a team of people you know, came to me to want to know if I would be interested in something like this. It's about Kenny's Music Barn, and I grew up in the Western Mass where we actually had a barn on our property, and um, that's where everybody used to hang out, and and um, and. Um, we, we would rehearse and play there. So PBS is looking, they're very excited. We had a meeting and they, we passed the first stage and we're going to do some revisions and we're going to, you know, we're trying to get a Kenny Aronoff cartoon, you know, which is, oh, these wow, are all excellent. things that are, yeah, yeah. I mean, these were all things I'm flying to Toronto to do a small uh, part in the movie, you know, or a sizzle reel to get the movie. I'm, you know, I'm doing all kinds of things, musical director for some things. And, um, you know, I'm just, Taking, I'm trying to get as much out of life as I can. I'm one of those guys that wants to work until I drop dead. Um, you know, um, in my in my um, in my autobiography, Sex, Drums, Rock and Roll, uh, the book ends with a life lesson that I learned from my uncle Matt. Now, my uncle Matt was a badass real life superhero. This guy was a Golden Gloves boxer, a fighter pilot. Um, he he made he was poor and made millions, had boats and planes, and he could do these one-handed push-ups. He was a tough, oh. tough dude. So one, one Thanksgiving, you know, we're celebrating Thanksgiving at our house, and he, I'm 12 years old, and he comes over with his family, and he ended up in my room doing one-handed push-ups, smoking a cigar and laughing at me and goes, hey, kid you know what the most important thing in life is? And stood up in front of me. And I'm so scared to answer wrong. I look at his gold watch and I figured, it's got to be money, right? I go, money. And he goes, no, stupid. And he slams me in the shoulder. He says, time is the most important thing, most valuable thing in life. And I'm thinking, a little kid, I'm like, well, I don't know what the hell he's talking about. And I thought, well, maybe you gotta be on, I got to be on school on time or do my homework on time or show up for dinner on time. And then later on, I started thinking years later, oh, man, he knew I was going to be a drummer. He was trying to be funny. Mm -hmm. And then when I became an adult, which was only about a year ago, <laughs> and I, just he's, uh, I realized, holy shit, he was talking about, he was sharing with this little kid the value of time because life yeah. is short and he was, he realized there isn't a lot of time. And, and I talked to my 92 year old mom a couple of weeks ago. Let me ask, tell you, man, she talks about time. She's like, it's sad, man. She's like, she's taking three courses in college. She's taking Zumba lessons, you know, dance lessons. She goes, reads novels. She loves people. Her brain is totally alert, but, She's got asthma and she's got a heart condition. So she talks about how she wants to live, but her body is dying. Yeah. She told me that. That's really sad, man. She knows what time's about. And time, and so when you're wasting time, uh, you know, and I don't mean you should take vacations and relax, but think about 
how do you want to spend the rest of your life? Mm -hmm. What are you trying to accomplish and go after it? Because you can go after anything you want in life. Like I said, it might take 5, 10 years, 15 years, but you can get it. And I'm around, I surround myself with people like that. And these are the people that have no excuses for anything. There's never an excuse. It's not why, it's when or how. Yeah. And those are the people I want to be around with. And the people that are entitled and are waiting for shit to happen or, or putting people down because it's not happening to them, they're going to get blown past by people that are will want to live life, that want to embrace life and get the most out of life. And the division between the successful and the lazy and non-successful are going to get greater and greater. you got to go after what you want, and the clock is ticking. Tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. Mm-hmm. That's what I got from my uncle, and that's basically the theme of my new book. It's like, how are you living your life? Are you living your life loud? Or are you dying on the vine? Because most people are. It's, it's global, too. I see that you know mediocrity is in, and I don't buy it. I think it's bullshit. I don't think mediocrity is cool at all. I think it's, it's an embarrassment to society when people are settling. Don't settle. You know, settle when you're 95, maybe. You know? <laughs> but right yeah. now, man, go after it, man. Get the most out of life. It's amazing. It's not easy, but it's amazing. The rewards are incredible. I feel it's a gift to be born in this life. Oh, I, t- I totally agree. I think that's some that's great advice. Make the you know make the most of every minute. To, you know, and, and yeah, fill it with stuff that you love, and stuff that you got a passion for. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly yeah. what I think. Yeah, well, sure. I mean, shit happens. You know, shit is going to happen. I mean, you're going to get hurt, injured, divorced, car accidents, fires. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a million things. Like, uh, you know, you have to just look at it as like you know this sucks, but this is part of life, and yeah. just try to move forward. You know, it's just—it's really being sensible. Oh yeah, I'll tell you—I'll tell you what doesn't suck. That's—that's that's the new Supersonic Blues album. Oh, I know. <laughs> wow, California Soul. I've been listening to it over the last few days, and yeah, I do. I love it. Uh, great Isn't work, it Kenny. Great, I great love, work, yeah. Thank you. I mean, you know, that what's cool about that record is that it, um, it, it, it. Um, it's not only a reflection of the 60, late 60, 69, 70, but it just shows how so much different styles of music were, were happening all at the same time and at the highest level. We tried to emulate, you know, there's one song that's got a Santana feel. There's one song that's mm-hmm. got, you know, Sly Stone feel. Another song's got, you know, the groovy uh, beach music that came out of California. Another's got a jam vibe like the Grateful Dead. I mean, uh, because all that music was on the radio back then. It was R&B, and it was blues, and it was soul, and it was rock, and it was, you know, swampy, and yeah. everything. And and that's, you know, I mean, it's like we really went after it. And the perfect thing about, for me, about the record is that, because I play all these different styles, and, you know, I'm not just a rock drummer. I'm famous as a rock drummer, but I can do all this other stuff. So the record was really, really cool. Um, to make, you know. Oh yeah, it must have been so satisfying, like you said, you know, to play all those different styles, and then you'd got some more guest artists that came into it as well. You're working with more people again. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yep. It's it's great, and we'll you know we'll make another one. I hope very soon. I hope you do yeah, next year. <laughs> I really yeah. hope you do. Get get yourself to Wales, like I said, and come over here. I'll be one of the first I to would shake love your hand. To. Well, all right. Well. Um. I got to come over. Yeah, I got, I got to have to come over with my wife. So I'm going to say we're going to take a, a deviate. 
we're going to drive to, I don't know if I'd be right or left or up or down, but we're going to Wales. <laughs> well, you're, you're always welcome here, Kenny, definitely. Thank you, man. I love, I love England and Wales. It's all real you know it's like home to me now yeah. all right well cool man um really nice talking to you. you too kenny it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for giving me your time today oh you're welcome take care man okay bye-bye kenny yep bye bye the alarm bell as always unfortunately brings to an end another interview i could have i could have listened to kenny for a hours as i'm sure you could too what a great guy what great stories uh, all the more reason go and buy his book that's already out all the links uh, for the for the book that's out for his facebook for his twitter for his website they will of course be on our website and for that you just go to 60minuteswith.co.uk there is a contact us form on there where you can send us an email or you can email us direct which is contact at 60minuteswith.co.uk you can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash 60 Minutes With. And we are, of course, on Instagram and Twitter. Just search for at 60 Minutes With and the numerical 60, not the alphabetical one. So to finish off the show, what better way than another track from the new Supersonic Blues Machine album? So settle back and listen to the great tune that is Elevate. <laughs>
get you 